given us so many good things. We praise you for your tender mercy to us, for your care, your compassion, for all that you provide for us, God. May we take of what you have given to us and may we be a blessing every time you ask us to be, God. Help us to be your hands and your feet. And now, Lord, as we open your word, have your way in our hearts. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Change us, we pray. And then, Lord, also we we think of Ethan Larson as he and others are in Greece training pastors and church leaders. We, We pray for your spirit there as well. We pray that there would be uh, faithful teaching there and that you would strengthen the churches there for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are in Lesson 7 out of 10 in our Discipleship series. And I thought this would be a good time to recap. At the beginning of this sermon, we're, we're eventually going to get into the topic of service today. But before we got there, I wanted to spend a little bit of time recapping why it is that we're doing this series on discipleship. When you boil it down to its most basic part, Christianity is about following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus. It's about being disciples and making disciples. So there's those two things that we emphasize. It comes from our mission statement here, as well as from the Bible. Our mission statement, a passion to know Christ, commissioned to make him known. Our lives are to be consumed with those two things. For us to follow Christ, that means that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus taught us that that was the greatest commandment in the law. We are to regularly spend time in the presence of God, sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from Him, allowing the Holy Spirit to do His transforming work in our hearts. And that's one of the wonderful things to me about the Bible, is that God doesn't just save us and then leave us on our own until we go to heaven. He wants to bring us through this path of us becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That's why we're given the Holy Spirit so that we can be transformed from the inside. So that's job one for us, is to love God, to meet with Him, to bask in His presence. Oftentimes when we talk about our lives as Christians when we came to know him will say something like I gave my life to the Lord when I was 15 or or 7 or or 30 or whatever whatever it was for you what does it mean to give your life to the Lord well according to the Bible it means that your life is no longer your own one of my favorite verses I I just stopped using that phrase one of my favorite verses they're all like my favorite verses but one verse that sticks out to me sometimes in 1 Corinthians 6 it says you are not your own you were bought at a price We belong to Jesus Christ. Our lives don't belong to ourselves anymore. Job number one for us is to walk with God, to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as we do that then, we're to help other people do the same thing. As we're walking with God, we're to put our arm around other people and help them walk with God. So that's the second part of this. The first part is being disciples. The second part is making disciples. And, and when I think about this second part of making disciples, th- there's kind of two aspects of it. One aspect of it would be with people who don't yet know Jesus, that we would do evangelism with them, that we would share the gospel with them, that we would tell them how they can come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And then if people already know Jesus, we can help them know him even more. That's what discipleship is. We, we put our arms around them and we say, I'd love to, to go through life with you, to help you, 
to train you, to teach you to become even more like Christ. That was Jesus' plan. Jesus, you know, he did his three years of public ministry, gathered some people around him, set apart 12 as apostles, and spent most of his time with them. Then Jesus died, rose again from the dead, and went up to heaven and left the church in their hands. I mean, not really, because we know that God was ultimately behind it all. But seems seems like a little bit shaky of a plan to me, knowing those, those 12 disciples down to 11 after Judas left. Are you sure, Jesus, that you want to leave this worldwide movement in their hands? Well, yes, Jesus was sure. Because he trained those men to train others, who would then train others. And all the way down until we're here now. People have taken the time to train us, now it's our time to train other people. So job number one for us as Christians is to be disciples, to follow Jesus Christ. And job number two is to help other people follow Jesus Christ as well. At Cornerstone Church, everything that we do here is meant to be based on those two things, knowing Christ and making Him known. Everything, whether we're talking about our Sunday morning services, or our small group Bible studies, or a, a women's prayer group meeting, or even purchasing a new building. Every single thing that we do here has those ends in mind, that we would know Christ better, that we would help other people know Christ better. If something doesn't fit into that, we really shouldn't be doing it. So I, I just want to let you all know that, that that's, you know, sometimes you might ask, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? Why do we do this thing that we're doing? The answer every single time comes down to our mission statement, comes down to what Jesus has taught us, that we must be laser beam focused on knowing Christ and helping others know him as well. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Now, it's easy to say that. It's easy to say that we want to be disciples and make disciples. At least it's somewhat easy for me to say it. I've been saying it now for the last seven weeks. But in reality, I know that it gets difficult. I know that life gets in the way. I know that other things come up and seem important. And, and there are other things that are important. But ultimately, we want to be about knowing Christ and helping other people know him as well. So what we're doing in this series then we're taking this one simple theme of being disciples and making disciples and we're kind of fleshing it out. We've got these ten lessons that we're doing. Today is lesson number seven on service. And for each of these lessons that we're doing, I want to teach you a little bit more about how you can walk with Christ. And I want you not just to learn that lesson for yourself, but I want you to pass that lesson on to others. That's why each of these lessons that I'm doing has an accompanying study guide. And it's on the back table again. Lesson number seven back there. I encourage you to take it Go through it with somebody else because it's one thing for you to, to sit here and, and listen or not listen to me preach. But it's another thing if you take these lessons home and learn them on your own. So that's why we're doing these things because I want you to know these things and I want you to be able to pass them on. Uh, have you ever heard the saying? I think this is a helpful saying. You know that you know something when you can pass it on to someone else. The idea is that there are, there's lots of things that we know and then somebody asks you, how do you, how do, you do that? And you're kind of like, uh, 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 I guess I don't know. We know we know something when we pass it on. So I want each of us to be raised up to be disciple makers. To be raised up to be people who can take these things that we know about walking with Christ and pass them on to others so they can walk with Christ, so they can teach others to walk with Christ.
So that's why we're doing this series here. And we're on lesson number seven today. So that, that was kind of my extended introduction to this sermon. And now I want to move on to the, the topic of today's sermon, which is service. Service is one of the ways that our discipleship should show itself. If we are truly following Jesus Christ, we should be doing kind things for people, just like Jesus did. We are called to serve, and Jesus set the example. Think about that. He is the King of Kings. He came down to this earth, and he could have said, Okay, I'm the King. Everybody come and serve me. Is that what Jesus did? No. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. I think that a lot of us go through lives with this mindset of, we, we deserve to be, I deserve to be served, I deserve that. People should really be nice to me. People should be looking out for me. My wife should be looking out for my interests. But if we're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, we should be saying, what can I do to serve? How can I look out for the interests of other people? Jesus Christ set us that example. And if we're going to be his disciples, his followers, we should live like he did. We should serve others. So we're going to talk about service today. And as I was thinking about this sermon, there, there's two different ways that we serve. One of those ways that we serve is inside the church, using our spiritual gifts, strengthening the body. And then one of the, way, the other way that we serve is outside of the church, those kind of things that we do for our neighbors or for the community. And I want to talk about both of those things today, but... Theologically, they're kind of intertwined a little bit. Whenever God gives an opportunity to serve, we should take it, whether that's in the church or outside of the church. But practically speaking, it's going to look a little bit different. So I'm going to be talking about both of those things, but it's going to be kind of a little bit muddled together and intertwined together. So hope you can follow along. We're really, we're just talking about service. Serving God by serving others is what we're talking about today. Before we do that, though, I just want to make one distinction, one comment between serving in the body and serving outside of the body in the community. In Galatians 6.10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, why do I mention that? Well, first of all, it says that we should be good to all people. If God gives opportunities, we should be good to all people. We must not neglect anyone, not in the church, not outside of the church. But it goes on to say, especially in the family of believers. Now, why do I mention that? Is it because I have some hidden agenda because I want you to really neglect people outside and really just focus on the inside? No, that's, that's not at all why. I have no hidden agenda here. It's interesting to me, though, that God says, make sure you're looking out for each other. If there is a need within your church family, you should make extra sure that you're meeting that need. It's one of the ways that we love each other, and it's actually one of the ways that our lights will shine even brighter in this world. If people come in and they see us taking care of each other, that is going to shine brightly to them. Not to the neglect of serving outsiders, but making sure that we're serving those inside. Okay. Let's move on now to the, the passage that we're going to look at. It's in 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. This is in your bulletin, or you can open up your Bibles as well. This is our main passage today. When I, when I get done with this one, I am going to look at another short passage quickly, but this will be our main passage. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. 
Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with this strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. In this passage, Peter eventually gets to the topic of service, but before he gets there, he mentions two things. And I just want to mention them as we, as we set up our, our sermon on service today. First of all, in verse 7, he says, The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Why does Peter mention that? Well, it's a theme of his book. One of the things that he's reminding us is that Jesus Christ may come very, very soon. We should be watching for him. We should be ready. We should be praying so that when he comes, we're lined up with his will. I talked a few weeks ago on the topic of prayer and I emphasized the fact that we need to line ourselves up with God's will. And how important is that in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again? May we be found faithful when he comes. In light of his coming, we should live a certain way. Because in reality, we're only here for a short time. It's not just those of you with the more gray or white hair that have a short time here. It's all of us that in reality have a short time to live here. So let's keep our minds, our eyes fixed on eternity, fixed on God, so that we remember to live rightly here, being clear-minded, self-controlled, so that we can pray. Okay, that's the first thing Peter mentioned. The second thing that he mentioned is that we're to love each other deeply. Before he gets to service, he mentions love. Because if we don't love each other, our service isn't going to be worth anything. If we're not serving people out of a heart of love, it's just going to be like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. We're to love others. Love allows us to move past the offenses that have been committed against us. It doesn't mean that we become doormats. It doesn't mean that we say, thank you for offending me. It means that we choose to offer grace. Because as we offer that grace and love to people, it covers over a multitude of sins. That's the kind of people I want to live with and be around, is that if I do something to offend somebody, that I'm gonna, that the response that I'm going to get in return is grace. That's the kind of person I want to be kind of person I want to be around. So let's love each other deeply and show that grace. Okay, now we get to service. In verse 9, Peter offers one concrete example of, hosp- uh, of service, hospitality. He says that we're to offer hospitality to people without grumbling. Now I want you to picture this. I want you to picture that you are about to open up your home. Let's say that you're either inviting some church friends over for a meal or maybe you're inviting some of your non-Christian friends over because you just want to get to know them better and maybe share the gospel with them. So you're opening up your home to people for God's purposes. Now one way that you could do that is say, oh man, I'm going to have to mop the floor and vacuum the carpet and make the lunch and figure out what I'm going to do with the kids. And oh man, and then probably you know the people I'm inviting over, they're going to track some mud in and have to mop the floor when they leave. Oh man, I can't wait till this night is over. <laughs> 
Some of you resemble that remark? Um, I don't know. Um, the other way that we could do it is we could say, oh, okay, yep, there's going to be some things that I have to do and I have to get things ready, but boy, I get to use my house for God's purposes. What a privilege that is. That someday, a million years from now, we might look back on this very night and see what God did here. What an awesome, awesome privilege that is. The difference there is our mindset. Grumbling should have no part in our service. Joy should be what fills us as we serve God. In verse 10, Peter tells us that he's talking about not just serving, but he's talking about using our gifts in service. So what verse 9 tells us is there there should be that joy, not grumbling as we serve. And, And I want to emphasize that word gift now in verse 10. The word for gift is more appropriately a, a word for grace. Some people translate it as a gracious gift, and I think that that kind of gets at the heart of it. That God has given us gracious gifts that he wants us to use. Now, sometimes we get gifts that we use, and sometimes we get gifts that we don't use. I'm sure that's happened to all of us, right? For Christine and I, I think at our wedding, we got a gift from one of our friends, and it was this kind of cool-looking uh, glass vase full of cooking oil. And it was this thing, it was meant to be decorative, but it was also meant to be used in cooking. And we thought, oh yeah, that looks kind of cool, and we, we put it up in our kitchen right away, and you know, kind of have thoughts maybe in the back of our mind of using it for cooking, but that thing just sat there and sat there. It sat there the whole time we lived in Illinois, and it <laughs> packed it up in the moving truck, truck and brought it home, and it sat in our kitchen again at home. And it got to the point where I was thinking to myself, I would be embarrassed if the person who gave us that gift came over to our house now and saw that thing and we hadn't used it yet. Now, contrast that with another gift that our family has received, specifically our kids. Christine's grandpa gave our kids a a plastic bag full of colored plastic balls. Some of you who have been over to our house have seen these. The kids love to play with them. Uh, I think about a month ago, some kids were over and they were stuffing these balls into their shirt, turning themselves into the marshmallow man. They were kind of walking around like this. Those balls get used all the time at our house. And if Christine's grandpa came over to our house and, and, and went into our basement, he would see that we are getting very, very good use out of the gift that he gave us. And how do you think he'd feel about that? He'd probably be like, yeah, yeah, I did a good one there. That was a good <laughs> gift I gave. But he'd take some joy in knowing that what he got us was used. If God gives us something as a gift, he wants us to use it. The Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians 12 that everyone who knows Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord has received at least one spiritual gift. What Peter adds to this discussion is that we are to use those gifts. And specifically, we are to use those gifts to serve others. In verse 11, Peter mentions two more gifts. Specifically, he mentions speaking and serving. And I think that those aren't necessarily gifts in and of themselves. I think that those are categories of gifts. That, that most of the spiritual gifts fall into one of those two categories. Either the gift of speaking, where we teach others, where we use our mouths to help people, or the gift of service, where we use our hands and our feet to help people. When we use our gifts to speak, we should realize that God may very well be communicating His message through us. And when we use our gifts of service, we should realize that we have the blessed privilege of being God's hands and feet. That God shows his mercy and goodness to people through our service. 
I like how verse 10 encourages us to use these gifts. It says that we are to administer them faithfully. The word for administer there is a word used of stewards or managers. A manager is oftentimes somebody who manages something that's not his own. For example, when I was working at McDonald's one summer, I had a manager. He wasn't the owner of the store. He was somebody that was hired by the owner to make sure that the the store would run smoothly. So this manager was the one who was there on a day-to-day basis. I, I saw the owner maybe just a couple of times, but I saw the manager there every day. And the manager was the one who was trying to get the most out of us workers. We are like those managers. God's given us gifts. They don't belong to us in that sense. They, they came from Him. They belong to Him. But He's given them to us so that we can use them in His service. We're to use them for God's purposes. And, and what are God's purposes? Why does God give us gifts? He tells us in His Word in Ephesians 4, He tells us that He gives gifts so that the body of Christ may be built up. God doesn't give you these gifts so you can say, cool, look what I can do. Like you're some sort of superhero and you get to use it just for your own purposes. The gifts are given so that the body of Christ may be built up. So we're to use those gifts for the purpose of the body being strengthened. If you have the gift of teaching, you should use it. If you have the gift of encouraging, you should use it. What are the different gifts? Well, the Bible has at least four different passages, including this one, where there are lists of gifts given. And you can look at those and you can say, okay, which which one or two or three or four of these has God given me? But most most theologians tend to believe that those lists aren't exhaustive. That is to say that not every single gift is covered in, in any of those lists. Wayne Grudem, a famous theologian, said one could say there is an almost limitless variety of different spiritual gifts. Because the idea is that whatever God has graced us with, we can use for service. So that would even include things, I think, like physical strength. If God has given you physical strength, you can use that physical strength to serve others. Now, this also has bearing not even just on our, our capabilities, but on our possessions as well. If God has blessed you with a truck, you can use your truck to serve others. Now, your truck isn't a spiritual gift in that traditional sense that we think of it, but you can sure use it to serve others. Or if you've got computer skills, you can use those to serve others. Whatever it is that God has given you, you can use it to serve others. And as it says in verse 11, we should do this with the strength God provides. Serving can be a very draining thing. I I think lots of you are probably familiar with that. Serving others can be draining if we're doing it in our own strength. But what does it say there in verse 11? It says, If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. When God gives us a gift, and when God gives us an opportunity to use it, he also gives us the strength that we need to use it. That's encouraging to me, because I don't want to go around for the rest of my life feeling like I'm just going to be drained by all the people that need things. Who who would want that? But what if it is that God strengthens us and gifts us to serve Him and to serve others? That that sounds pretty cool, actually. 
I want you to notice how this passage ends. It ends with God receiving praise and glory. When we use our gifts to serve others, God is praised. So if you have a gift, use it. I don't always know how to help you use your gift. At our church, I would love it if every single one of you knew what your spiritual gift was and and I knew what your spiritual gift was and we just had this wonderful place to slot you in and use your gift. I know some of your gifts and I know how to help some of you use some of your gifts, but I don't know all of your gifts. And I'm limited in my understanding and in my capabilities to help you. So if you have a gift, you need to be proactive in using it. I would love to help you. We at Cornerstone Church, we would love to help you use your gift. But really, it it falls on you. If you have that gift, the Bible tells you that you are to use it. And wouldn't it be great if we could all use our gift together, serving together side by side? Okay, let's do that. Now, some of these gifts, again, like, like teaching, those things happen in the church. What about those kinds of acts of service that we do outside of the church? To talk about those, I want to just look briefly at a passage in Matthew 5. If you, this isn't in your bulletin, but if you've got your Bibles, you, you can turn to Matthew 5, very familiar passage, starting in verse 13. In, in that verse, Jesus taught that his followers are the salt of the earth. In the next verse, in Matthew 5:14, he said, You are the light of the world. The idea of salt in ancient times was that it was to be used for a couple of different useful purposes. One of those purposes was to, you would put it on meat to make it last longer. They didn't have fridges in those days, so if you had a piece of meat and you wanted to save it for a while, you'd rub some salt on it. Salt was also used just like we use it now for flavoring purposes. It was one of the benefits of salt back then, too. And then as Jesus goes on to talk about the light, he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So the idea of both salt and light is that they permeate their surroundings. A little bit of salt goes a long way. You've maybe noticed that if you've accidentally put too much salt on your meat. A little bit of light can have a dramatic impact on the darkness. And Jesus is saying that's what we're to be like in our culture, in our society. We're to be the salt. We're to be the light. We believers are to have an impact on the people around us. How do we do that? Jesus tells us at the end of that passage in Matthew 5.16, he said, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We are not to separate from the world. Too often we Christians do that. We just use our gifts with each other. We just interact with each other. But Jesus tells us we're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We're meant to go out and use these gifts that God has given us to serve others. Why? So that we can say, look at me, look at my gift, look how good I am. No. So that we can say, look how good God is. I wish that I could say to every single person on earth, look how good God is. I wish I could, you know, go up to them and speak those words to them. But you know what? Most people on earth wouldn't listen to me if I just said it that way. If I just went up to them and said, look how good God is, I get a lot of funny looks. Our service helps us communicate that message. And in that sense, you know, the the famous saying, actions speak louder than words, is true. In our serving other people, people will see God's goodness 
and it says in both of these passages we've looked at, they'll glorify God. Think about how that happened in Jesus' ministry. He went around doing lots of good things. <coughs> people began to follow him. As a result of some of those good things that he was doing, people are saying, wow, he's really a, a great guy. I want to follow that guy. And they began to learn from him. And some of them even became disciples. It's still supposed to work that way. We're not to separate from the world. Instead, we are to use what we have been given to serve others. Craig Blomberg, the theologian, said, Christians must permeate society as agents of redemption. We are to be the light of the world. Now, I find that one interesting because Jesus himself said that he is the light of the world. In John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. Now it says here that we are the light of the world. Jesus himself tells us that we are the light of the world? How does that work? Well, if you're catching on to what we're going through in this discipleship series, what's the goal of discipleship? Becoming more like Christ. Christ is the light of the world. We're to become like him. We are also to become the light of the world. I want to use an illustration on this one. Jesus is like the sun. I mean, the sun shines on earth. Half the day, half the world, the sun is shining. There might be clouds that block it, but the sun is having a tremendous impact on this world. Now, if the sun is shining for half the day, you know, it, at all points in time, half the world is receiving sun, that means that half the time, the world isn't receiving that sunlight. But we have something else in the night sky to, to do a little bit of lighting up. We have the moon. The moon has no light in and of itself. If God were to shut off the switch on the sun, the moon wouldn't shine anymore because it doesn't have any light in and of itself. It just reflects the light of the sun. And sometimes, you know, you see particularly on a full moon, the moon actually does a pretty good job of lighting things up. It's not like maybe you'd be comfortable reading a novel by the light of the moon, but you can sure get your way around by the light of the moon. We're to be like the moon. Jesus is the sun. He is the light of the world. But as we become more like him, we are to reflect him to this world. There are people in this world that would never go to church, but they can see the light of Christ by us interacting with them. We are to reflect God's light to those people, serving them. Now the million dollar question is, how do we do this? How can we serve other people? Who do we serve? It's a million dollar question, but I'm going to give you about a you know, 10 cent answer here. Just keep your eyes open. Actually, it's worth more than that, I think. But it's, I'm going to give you the simple answer. I can't answer for you what it is that God wants you to do on Wednesday, uh, what opportunity he might give you that I know nothing about. I, I can't do that for you. But I can say keep your eyes open. God, the one who gives you the gifts, the one who gives the opportunities, wants you to use your gifts to serve. So just like I told you last week as we were talking about evangelism, to pray and to watch for the opportunities that God gives, I now want to say the same thing to you about service. Keep your eyes open. Be praying about how you can use your gifts and be willing when God opens a door to use those opportunities to serve other people. As we serve, it says some people will come to praise God. In this way, serving and sharing the gospel go hand in hand. 
And, and I said previously that actions speak louder than words, but now I want to say that words speak more clearly than actions. And I think that it's not like we should say, which one am I going to do, evangelism or service? Which, you know, if I only had to pick one, well, no, you don't only have to pick one. We should do them both. As you serve people, you also look for the opportunities to use words to help clarify what the gospel is. People aren't going to come to Christ just because you gave them a cup of water. They might, though, if they saw your kind deeds and then you share the gospel with them and you explain to them what it means to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. I think that's what Peter and Jesus are getting at by us doing our good deeds in front of men and then God receiving glory in the response from those people. <coughs> so let's serve others. Let's look for open doors. One of the ways that we do this at Cornerstone is that we have money that we give to poor people. Um, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but sometimes people just go through the phone book. People in, in desperate need, they, they open up the, the yellow pages to the church section and they just start calling. They're, they don't know where else to turn. And we actually, at Cornerstone Church, like to give money to people in those situations. There's times where we say, yes, God bless you. God has blessed us. Now we want to extend that blessing to you. So you need $50 because your rent is late. We'd love to help you out with that. Now as I, I receive those phone calls, I often ask people questions like, do you have a church that you go to? How are you doing spiritually? Things like that. Then oftentimes what happens is it's the same people call like three or four months later and say, oh, you know what, uh, I work in Wampatin and I, I, I don't have any gas money to get there this week. I'm not getting paid until next Friday. Would you help me out with a little bit of gas? And I'll say, you know what? We'd, we'd love to help. And, and sometimes what I do, and maybe this sounds a little bit manipulative, but I don't think it's manipulative at all. Sometimes I'll say to these people, we'd love to help you out with a tank of gas. Tell you what, we'll go with you after church on Sunday and fill your tank. Love to, love to meet you because we care about your physical needs. We want to help you out with this, but we also care about your spiritual needs. Now, why do I say that? I say that just as, as an example. We want to serve people. We want to use our gifts. We want to show God's kindness and mercy to other people. But what's the kindest, most merciful thing that God has ever done? Sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. And we want people to know that mercy, too. God has blessed us. Let's pass those blessings on to others. Here's my big idea for today as we conclude. We are to serve others so God may be glorified. We are to serve others so God may be glorified. I want to point out something from the end of the First Peter passage. In verse 11, starting in the middle of it, it says, If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised, the word is really glorified, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. One of the results of our service is that God is glorified. Where did Peter get that idea? I think he ripped it off from Jesus. I think he was plagiarizing here, actually. You know why I say that? Because in that, that verse I read from you in Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise, glorify your Father in heaven. Both Jesus and Peter tell us that the result of our service is that God is glorified. How does that happen? Well, for one, God's glorified when we use the gifts he's given us. He likes to see us use our gifts. 
And for another, as we serve people, they come to see who God is more and more. And they glorify God. Maybe not every time, but sometimes it does happen that way. Discipleship is about us glorifying God with our lives. Service is one way to bring God glory. And as we serve others, others glorify God. (coughs) Like I said at the beginning of our service here, service is one of the ways that our discipleship should show itself. If we are truly following Jesus Christ, we should show kindness to other people like God shows kindness to us. We have a purpose here on earth. Again, God could have just taken us up right into heaven the moment we received Jesus as Savior and Lord, but he didn't do that. We're still here. We have a purpose here. And one of those purposes, according to Ephesians 2.10, is that we would walk around in the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So let's keep our eyes open. There is a lifetime of good things that God wants us to do here. Let's serve him so that God may be glorified because we are to serve others and as a result, God does receive that glory. So how will you serve? Will you give of yourself inside the church and out of it to serve? Will you open your eyes? Will you be praying for those opportunities? And when they come, will you make the most of every opportunity? Will you follow Jesus' example and live your life to serve and not to be served? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for all the many kindnesses that you have shown to us. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus who came to die for our sins. We thank you for those little things every day that you give us. We thank you for a a beautiful day. We thank you for fellowship. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for so many things. As we think about the many kindnesses you have given to us, Lord, may we make the most of every opportunity to express your kindness to others as well. May you strengthen us for that, Lord. We don't want to do it in our own strength. We want the strength that you provide. And ultimately, God, we want you to be glorified. May you be glorified in the service that we do. May you open those doors and may we make the most of every opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.